Well, it's a pleasure to be with you again tonight and to be able to share with you an update on the ongoing work of the Trinitarian Bible Society. We do thank you for your continued prayers and support for the Society. We are indebted to you for taking us upon your heart and remembering us and the work that we're involved in. Tonight, I would like to give an address on the origins, that is the beginning of the work of the Trinitarian Bible Society, how we came into being and how that work has progressed over the years and bring us right up to the current uh, time today. Now, the work of scripture distribution and translation precedes the formation of the TBS back in 1831. In the Old Testament, the priests and the scribes were responsible for making copies of the Holy Scriptures. And this practice continued in the New Testament as well. Scribes were based at Antioch, uh, which became the Christian capital of the world after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And from there, faithful copies of the New Testament Scriptures were made and circulated. And scripture translation is not a new development either. The Old Testament Hebrew text was translated into the Greek language and the first, that translation was known as the Septuagint. And there is widespread evidence of the New Testament being translated into many different languages as far back as the first and second centuries. There are many examples of scripture translation in the following centuries. For example, the book of Deer is a rare example of a pocket gospel from the 10th century. It is possibly Scotland's oldest manuscript and includes the earliest surviving example of written Scots Gaelic in the world within its margins. The work of Bible translation and distribution accelerated at the time of the Protestant Reformation, in particular due to the invention of the printing press. Many different countries were involved in the further spread of the gospel. In more recent times, the work of Bible societies developed significantly alongside the increase of missionary work in the 18th century. The account of Mary Jones and her Bible is very well known. But from this, the Reverend Thomas Charles of Bala began a movement which resulted in the gathering of similar, similarly concerned Christians in London in December 1802. And that meeting led to the formation of the British and Foreign Bible Society in 1804. Now the British and Foreign Bible Society commenced with great zeal and fervour. Their first translation project was the Gospel of John into Mohawk for Canada in 1804. And in the British Isles, they reprinted Bibles in Welsh, Scots Gaelic and Manx Gaelic also. In their first 20 years, the British and Foreign Bible Society distributed 1.7 million Bibles and 2.5 million New Testaments, over 4 million items. Remarkable considering they didn't have the technology that we currently have today. Sadly, however, there were many underlying problems with the British and Foreign Bible Society. And they, these problems were causing considerable tensions and they were dangerous to the important work 
of the society. In the work of the British and Foreign Bible Society, the acceptance of support and help from some who were of a Unitarian and Socinian position led to many problems. Socinians deny the deity of Christ or they impugn the integrity of the Trinity. And this was especially so on the continent of Europe where many auxiliaries were wholly run by Socinians. Although they were most certainly in the minority in the British and Foreign Bible Society, sadly there was no desire within the society to address this serious heresy. Many supporters were exercised about cooperation with those who held such serious and wicked doctrines. Furthermore, in order to reach certain countries which were under the influence of the Roman Catholic Church, there was a desire among some in the British and Foreign Bible Society to circulate translations not from the original Greek and Hebrew, but from the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate. However, the post-Reformation Latin Vulgate was not the, uh, tran the translation of Jerome from the 4th century. Rather, it was the Clementine Vulgate, which displayed all the marks and evidence of a counter-Reformation translation. It also had the influence of the Septuagint on the text of the Old Testament. Those who resisted this desired translations from the originals, the Hebrew Masoretic and the Greek Textus Receptus. These texts, dear friends, are the providentially preserved word of God, from which our authorised version is translated. Another issue was the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is the term used to describe the 14 books which some believe um, should be in the Bible. These books were written around 200 BC to 400 AD. Now there is no evidence at all that these are inspired writings. They are not quoted in scripture as being inspired. They were never quoted by our Saviour or his apostles and church history has largely rejected the Apocrypha as belonging to the canon of scripture. Now while there was general agreement in the British and Foreign Bible Society that the Apocrypha was not the inspired word of God, there were those who believed that the circulation of Bibles would not be accepted among Lutherans and Roman Catholics unless the Apocrypha was included. After 1813, a discretionary resolution in the Committee of the British and Foreign Bible Society opened the way for the printing and distribution of Scripture with the Apocrypha, and this attempted to secure European openings, um, and this decision was not made known generally, especially in the UK, but as it slowly came to be realised among the supporters, controversy was inevitable. So whenever the time of the anniversary meeting came in 1831 at the Exeter Hall in London, uh, matters came to a head. The acceptance of the annual report included a recommendation that prayer should not be introduced at any meeting of the society. And this resolution was strongly opposed by Mr. J.E. Gordon, who viewed it as an attempt by the Socinians to restrict prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. On the 20th of May, 1831, 
members and friends of the British and Foreign Bible Society who supported Mr. Gordon's position held a meeting. And this meeting formed the Provisional Committee of the British and Foreign Bible Society. And this was their first resolution. That it is the earnest desire of this meeting that no member of the British and Foreign Bible Society do at present secede from this society, but firmly combine in the effort to rescue the society from its coalition with Socinians. So they didn't desire to separate and break away initially. They desired to remove the heretics from the British and Foreign Bible Society. Sadly, it soon became apparent that no such rescue was to be accomplished. A meeting was convened for the 7th of December 1831 to form a new Bible Society. The name to be adopted was the Trinitarian Bible Society, uh, because no Unitarian and no Socinian would want to join this new society that affirmed the three persons of the Trinity. So the constitution of the society, the constitution of the society, was first produced at the inaugural meeting in December 1831, and it details the laws and regulations under which we operate. And the object of the society is to promote the glory of God and the salvation of men by circulating both at home and abroad the holy scriptures, which are given by inspiration of God and are able to make men wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And there was also a firm commitment not to print the Apocrypha in any of our Bibles. As a society, we are unashamedly Protestant and Reformed. In fact, to be a member, uh, you have to complete a membership form and affirm that you believe in the doctrine of the Trinity and that you are a Protestant. And we hold uh, to the uh, statement made in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is also copied in the Savoy Declaration and the Second London Baptist in chapter 1, section 8. It says the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek um, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages are therefore authentical. And of course we hold to that biblical stand and that confessional stand that God has providentially preserved his word. He has not allowed his word to be lost, polluted or corrupted. He has preserved his word pure in all ages, not hidden it in the Vatican Library, not hidden it in the caves of St. Catherine's Monastery in Mount Sinai. We are not still awaiting the discovery of God's word. God has preserved his word by his providential care. Now the aims of the society, there are six main aims. First of all, we seek to publish and distribute the Holy Scripture throughout the world in many languages. There are over 7,000 languages in the world and many hundreds of millions of people are still awaiting scripture in their own mother tongue. Secondly, we promote Bible translations which are accurate and trustworthy, conforming to the Hebrew Masoretic and the Greek Textus Receptus. Thirdly, we seek to be instrumental in bringing light and life through the gospel of Christ to those who are lost in sin and in the darkness of false religion and unbelief. 
We believe that the Lord speaks through his word. We believe that it is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That the Lord uses his word in the conversion of sinners. Fourthly, we uphold the doctrines of reformed Christianity, bearing witness particularly to the equal and eternal deity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These were fundamental doctrines that we contended for at our formation, and we hold to them today. I was uh, at a conference one time, and we had our sign up above our stand, Trinitarian Bible Society, and there was a man came, and he took great exception. It was a Christian conference, and he took great exception to the word Trinitarian. He says there's no such word found in the Bible, and he denied that there were, in fact, three persons of the Godhead. And sadly, this is uh, still prevalent uh, in many circles today. The oneness doctrine uh, has crept in uh, to many churches in our nation. Fifthly, we uphold the Bible as the inspired and inerrant word of God. Things, I'm sure, that are self-evident amongst us. But sadly, today, there are those who do not believe that the Bible is inspired. They cannot say that Acts 8.37, for example, is inspired. They cannot say that Matthew 18.11, the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost, is inspired. And there are those who do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. They will tell us that the Bible has mistakes and contradictions. Things have been added. Men have corrupted it and polluted it down through the years. Dear friends, this is, uh, this is dangerous theology. And it's not just found in the liberal churches of our land today, but sadly it is creeping into the evangelical churches and those who profess to be reformed. We must stand for the inspiration and inerrancy of God's holy word. And sixthly, we labour for the glory of God and the increase of his kingdom through the circulation of Protestant or uncorrupted versions of the Holy Scripture. Well, I'll move on to mention something of the early work of the society. In the beginning, the work of the society mainly involved Bible distribution. By the end of our first year, we had distributed uh, a total of 4,283 Bibles and New Testaments, including a shipment to Canada. But in November 1835, a gift was given to the society, a gift of £50. A lot of money today, but an awful lot of money back then. Uh, back in 1835, uh, the Bank of England tell me that that was the, the equivalent of £5,200 in today's money. But the gift was given with a purpose, and it was to aid our first foreign Bible translation. So after much prayerful consideration, um, they decided to produce a translation in the Portuguese language. That translation was finished and ready for distribution in 1847 and we did a revision of that in 1994. In fact uh, our 1994 translation um, was awarded uh, the title of Book of the Year by the Brazilian Christian Booksellers Association. So popular was uh, our 1994 translation. But such was the desire for um, Portuguese scripture in South America that we opened a branch in 1968 
uh, to aid the wider distribution of Scripture in South America, and that branch is now celebrating its 55th anniversary. Now, over the last 55 years, our branch in Brazil has distributed over 10 million Bibles. In partnership with other organizations, such as the Gideons, we have distributed over 198 million New Testaments. They have also developed a Bible app in the Portuguese language. And that Bible app has been downloaded 14 million times. So over the last 55 years, if you add those three items together, the Bible, the New Testament and the Bible app, that's over 220 million Portuguese-speaking souls that have been reached with the Word of God. What started off as that gift of £50 back in 1835, the Lord has used to produce a faithful and accurate Bible translation that has reached hundreds of millions of souls throughout the Portuguese-speaking world. And we give thanks to God for his grace in this project. Not only do we um, do Bibles and New Testaments, as the work has progressed, we also have published other items as well. We produce scripture leaflets, gospel tracts and booklets uh, on various subjects, uh, all focused upon the Word of God, and many churches use these for evangelism and for counselling as well. But our work has progressed and projects have been undertaken to provide faithful versions of the scriptures to many people in Africa and Indian countries, as well as many Western and Eastern European countries. In 1969, we took over the publication of the Golden Thoughts calendars, and these contain a scripture text for every day of the year, and over half a million of these calendars are distributed annually in 11 different languages. In addition, we also have a pictorial Words of Life calendar, which is distributed in 22 different languages, reaching many hundreds of thousands of people around the world. The calendars are a means of entry for the Word of God into many places where it would not otherwise reach. And the same can be said of another project. In 1975, we commenced a project with other organisations to exhibit posters of the Ten Commandments in 500 London Underground trains for a period of one year. This was followed in 1977 by the exhibiting of larger posters in underground stations and at British railway stations in Glasgow, Liverpool and London. And we're glad to report that large posters are now displayed on over 150 sites in British railway stations throughout Great Britain. And this is a work not confined to the here in the UK, but has spread to other countries as well. And by this means, many thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, are coming into contact with the Word of God that they otherwise would uh, would not have. In recent years, we have commenced a bus stop poster campaign. This project is still in its infancy, but we hope to report on it soon in upcoming editions of our magazine. Another means that we have been able to utilise is the internet. We launched our first website in the mid-1990s, 
providing information about the Society with a number of important articles about the need for faithful and accurate translations. But we're now using the internet as a means to get the Word of God out into the different nations. It's amazing in parts of Africa, Bibles are very hard to find and come across. But many people have a smartphone and access to the internet. And we're hopeful to get all of our translations and the will of God online so that people can read the Holy Scriptures in their own mother tongue by the internet. This will also be useful for some countries in the world where they cannot have a printed copy of the Holy Scriptures. Think, for example, of the ultra-Orthodox Jew. They can't have a copy of the New Testament. It would be dangerous for some of them. They could be made an outcast of their family or society simply for uh, having a copy. But they can access the internet, and we have a specialised website uh, directed towards them, uh, so they can read the Hebrew New Testament. Think of countries like Iran also, where again you can't have a printed copy of the Holy Bible, but they can access the internet and read our website and read the Word of God there. As time has passed, we have been able to expand our work beyond the UK. We have formed branches in Australia, Brazil, Canada, New Zealand and the USA. And we are working in a large number of Spanish-speaking countries. So we run a Spanish-language website uh, sponsored by our USA branch. And we do work closely with other organisations who share um, our um, uh, values. Uh, in particular, we have a sister society in the Netherlands, uh, GBS. Well, moving on to mention some of our translation work. Currently, we have 21 full Bibles in print. We have 18 New Testaments and we have 21 Gospels. But we have many more items such as calendars, tracts and posters in other languages. Now, behind the scenes, we have 64 projects that we are currently working on. And this number has increased over the past 18 months. In answer to prayer, the Lord has raised up labourers who are coming forward to give themselves to the vital work of Bible translation. So we have 64 projects that are currently ongoing. Some are still in their infancy, uh, some are nearing completion, uh, but we give thanks to God uh, for all the uh, projects uh, progressing. Now at the end of last year, the population of the world reached over 8 billion people. Now of these 8 billion people, um, remarkably, 66% of them speak one of the top 10 languages in the world. So if you take the top 10 languages in the world, you have English, you have Mandarin, uh, you have Hindi, French and so on, Spanish, Arabic. Uh, these top 10 languages are spoken by two out of every three people in the world. And we're glad to report that the TBS have translations either completed or ongoing in eight of the top 10 languages in the world. There's only two translations that we don't have projects ongoing in, but there is a need for faithful Bible translations. The Bengali for Bangladesh and the Urdu for Pakistan. With these two languages combined, that's over half a billion people who do not have a faithful and accurate copy of God's word. Now, sometimes we get asked the question, why do we do translations in languages where they already have a Bible? 
And it is right, they do have the Bible in Urdu, they do have it in Bengali. But not all Bibles are translated from the same Hebrew and Greek texts. In fact, many modern translations are produced from the modern critical texts that are still progressing, they're still changing, they are missing many important verses, and many words have been changed and substituted. We do not believe that the critical texts are the uh, infallible and inerrant word of God. Uh, so we have to produce translations from these texts. Now, if there already is a translation from the Texas Receptus in the Hebrew Masoretic, and it's a faithful and accurate translation, there's no need for us to produce another one. There only ever needs to exist one translation in any language at any time, and it should be the most faithful and most accurate translations. But let me give some examples as to why we produce translations in other languages where they already have a Bible. First of all, the Chinese language. The Chinese Union version is used by 99% of Christians, um, but sadly it's not from the uh, Textus Receptus of the New Testament. And it also has some very simple and basic mistakes. Genesis 3 verse 4 reads, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. The Chinese Union version reads, The snake said to the woman, You may die, or you may not die. Well, that is not a very accurate translation. It's a very misleading translation. Right there at the very start of Genesis. Confusion reigns already. Another example from the French Louis Segonde translation, which is extremely popular. In Psalm 40, verse 7, we have it written, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, because the Bible is written of Christ. And all English translations that I've looked at have the same translation of me. Louis Segonde has, I come with the roll of the book, written for me. Now, there's a big difference between a book being written of somebody and a book being written for somebody. This is one of those messianic psalms that shows Christ. But Sagan doesn't translate it that way because Sagan didn't like the messianic psalms. So he deliberately didn't translate it to include that messianic prophecy. That was his liberal bias coming through in his translation. Another example from the Turkish, Matthew 5, verse 48. In the authorised version, it reads, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. The 2008 Turkish translation has, Therefore be competent, even as your heavenly Father is competent. Now there is a word in Turkish for perfect, but they deliberately chose not to use it. And they have weakened and downgraded that translation uh, to refer to God as being competent. And there's a big difference between being competent and being perfect. So uh, for these examples, and there's many more we could look at, this is why we have to engage in producing accurate and faithful copies of God's word. Now not all uh, translations, as I mentioned, are from the same Greek and Hebrew texts. If you held up the Greek text Receptus of the New Testament in one hand, 
and you held up the modern critical text in another hand, there would be around 6,000 differences between them. So they can't both be the word of God. Well, what are the differences between them and why is it so important? Well, a couple of examples. Luke 9, verse 56, the authorised version reads, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. The NIV, which is translated from the modern critical text, has this. Then he and his disciples went to another village. There's a bit missing there. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That has been left out of the NIV because it's left out of the critical text, so it's not found in any translation from the critical text. Another example in Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That phrase, through his blood, is left out of the NIV and from all translations from the critical text. Matthew 5.44, but I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This is what the NIV has. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now there's three important pieces of Christian doctrine and teaching that are missing there. Bless them that curse you is missing. Do good to them that hate you is missing. And pray for them which despitefully use you is missing as well. And there's also some missing verses. Mark eleven twenty six is not found in the critical text. So it's not found in the NIV, the ESV and others as well. It says, but if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Another example is John 5 verse 4 where it reads For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now you try and read John 5 without verse 4 and it's a completely different narrative a completely different story. The supernatural element is removed. And Acts 8.37, which is the profession of faith of the Ethiopian eunuch, is missing from modern Bibles that are translated from the critical text. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest, that is, be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The eunuch's profession missing from many modern translations. There's much more that we could say about the missing verses and, and parts of verses that are missing, but I hope these few examples show to you the seriousness of translating the Word of God from the providentially preserved Hebrew, uh, Masoretic and Greek, Textus Receptus. Another important uh, aspect is not just the text that we translate from, but the method that we use for translation. As a society, we use the method known as formal equivalence. And this is the more literal word-for-word -word translation. If the word's there in the Hebrew and Greek, we seek to translate that word as accurately as possible into the receptor language. But an alternative method that is emerging is known as dynamic equivalence. And that is where the translator becomes more than a translator. He becomes an interpreter. 
and he tries to recreate in the mind of the reader what he thinks the original author meant to say to the original recipients. Well, the, that leaves a lot of wiggle room and it leaves uh, a lot of scope for the translator to put a, his own thoughts and ideas into the passage. Let me give just one example for sake of time here tonight. John 1.17, the authorised version reads, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The Living Bible has, For Moses give us only the law, with its rigid demands and merciless justice, while Jesus Christ brought us loving forgiveness as well. Now there's a serious problem there. That phrase, with its rigid demands and merciless justice, is not found in a single Greek manuscript. They have added their own interpretation of what they think of the law of Moses. They call it rigid demands and merciless justice. That is an interpretation that they have added into the word of God. And dear friends, we're not to do that. Deuteronomy 4 verse 2, you shall not add on to the word. And you're not to diminish aught from it either. Well, moving on to mention some of our distribution work. We distribute scripture by uh, publishing uh, Bibles, New Testaments, uh, Gospels, calendars and tracts for evangelism, as well as colouring in books for children with Bible verses as well. And seals uh, of all of our publications make a very important contribution to the income of the society. All surplus funds from seals are used to subsidise uh, the giving of uh, scripture for free distribution throughout the world. So over the last two years, we have sold over 4 million scriptural items. And this has enabled us to give away over 3 million items throughout the world. In 2022, we distributed scripture in 40 different languages to over 112 different countries throughout the world. One project just to mention for you here tonight, and it is the Simte Bible that we have produced for the Simte people who are part of the hill tribes and they live in the Manipur region of northeast India. Now the gospel first came to the Manipur region around the start of the 20th century through British missionaries like William Pettigrew. He arrived in 1894 and he lived there until 1933. Now we first produced the New Testament in 1975. Do you know how many books they had in their own language before our New Testament was printed in that year? None. Nothing had ever been produced in their own language until 1975 with our New Testament. We finished the whole Bible in 1992. And in 2015, a report highlighted the importance of our Bible in shaping the Simte language. It said, We the Simte are just at the stage of developing our literature, dialect and grammar. As such, the Holy Bible has become more or less our dictionary and grammar book. Around 2008, we commenced a revision of the Simte Bible. Improvements were needed as the language was still developing. And we finished it in 2001 and we shipped over 6,500 Bibles. They arrived in February last year. And by the end of February, uh, uh, over 5,000 
had been distributed within those couple of weeks. We received feedback from the Simte people uh, in December last year, so nine months after the Bibles had arrived, and this is what many of them have said. Many of the youths and the Sunday school students born after the 1980s are proud to have a Bible for the first time. Another said, I am so blessed to be a recipient of both the editions, and it's such a joy to see my students bringing their new Bibles to the Sunday school class. Our new Bible has blessed me tremendously in my uh, quiet time. Another said, my family members and I completed reading the Simte Bible cover to cover. In that nine-month period, they read it cover to cover. And we received so many blessings through the reading of the Bible. I have personally completed reading it twice till now. So that person said they read it twice in that nine-month period. One of the first people to receive a copy was a student at a Bible college. And he started reading the Bible the day he received it. And seven days later, he had the whole Bible finished. These people had received no Bibles from 1992. So whenever this shipment arrived, it was received with great enthusiasm and uh, gratitude. And I, I last quote here, it says, It is a pleasure to know that many of our church members have now read the Simte Bible cover to cover. It is heartening to see that many would, have, would now have a Bible to hold in their hands after such a long time. It is a blessing for the church and a blessing for the community indeed. And I know the Simte people would value your prayers at this time. And in fact, many of the hill tribes in the Manipur region, there has been tensions, there has been fighting. Some churches have been uh, burnt down. Uh, some Christians have been attacked and killed due to the fighting uh, there. There has been great tensions. You've maybe read about it on the news. And we have many translation projects involving the Manipur region and the people up there. Uh, so please do remember them in your prayers that the work would continue and it would not come to a halt because of the, uh, the, the violence in that region. Well, um, that is all that I have to uh, share with you tonight. I've uh, run out of time, but can I uh, conclude by thanking you once again for your continued interest and your prayerful support. I have brought the free literature and uh, some items um, for sale. Uh, they're in the, the room next door. Please take time to have a look at those if there's anything we can help you with. There's plenty more items on our website, so please do have a look on our website if there's ever anything that could be of use to you. But we'll stand for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful to Thee for Thy goodness and for Thy mercy and for Thy love and Thy kindness. How Thou hast favoured this land in giving us a, an accurate translation of Thy word that has passed down from generation to generation and is still faithful and beloved today. And we think of so many nations in the world that as yet are still waiting the word of God in their own mother tongue. And Lord, this is surely a shame on the church today that we have not been able to produce uh, so many translations in, in needy languages. To this end, we pray that thou will continue to raise up translators, that they will come forward and give themselves to the important work of Bible translation. 
We're so thankful that thou didst raise up men like William Tyndale and Miles Coverdale and many others. And Lord, we pray that men like this would be raised up in needy languages so that the word of God may go forth with power and that thy spirit may use it for the building of Christ's church and for the uh, glory of his holy name. So Father, bless all that has been said tonight. May it encourage us and strengthen us and may we even have a greater appreciation for our Bible and may it be precious to us and may we hide it within our hearts that we sin not against thee. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We will conclude with Psalm 67, singing to God's praise. Lord, bless and pity us, shine on us with thy face, that the earth thy way and nations all may know thy saving grace. Let people praise thee, Lord, let people all thee praise, O let the nations be glad in songs their voices We'll sing the whole of Psalm 67, Lord bless and pity us. intimations the services on the lord's day are at the usual times of 11 a.m and 6 30 p.m and the preacher is the reverend james gracie the prayer meeting next thursday at 7 30 will be taken by mr ian martin there are two meetings tomorrow tomorrow evening the tbs are 
having a meeting in the Inches Primary School at 7 p.m. And this will be a different meeting from tonight. It will be a video and picture presentation of the work of God in Ethiopia and in India. And Mr. Matthew Vogan and myself will be uh, conducting that presentation. So it'll be different from what you've heard tonight. Uh, so uh, do come along. And it's at 7 o'clock, so it's at a good time for the boys and girls. And we trust that your hearts will be encouraged uh, if you come along to that meeting to see uh, pictures and videos of, of the work of God going forward in these countries. I believe there's flyers on the table to give further details. Alternatively, you have the option of a live-streamed meeting of the Scottish Reformation Society tomorrow night between 7 and 9 p.m. And again, there's flyers on the table giving details of the Zoom and telephone numbers. There will be a prayer meeting this Saturday, the 19th, at 7 p.m. as a follow-up to the one held in June for the Day of Humiliation and Prayer. As previously, this will be in the Bewley Church. It is also hoped that similar meetings will be held on a quarterly basis. And all these intimations are subject to the will of God. Let's stand for the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen.